Part 2 Snowbound A Winter Idol This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Tremblay Snowbound A Winter Idol by John Greenleaf Whittier There, too, our elder sister plied her evening task the stand beside. A full, rich nature, free to trust, truthful, and almost sternly just, impulsive, earnest, prompt to act, and make her generous thought a fact, keeping with many a light disguise the secret of self-sacrifice. O oh, heart sore tried, thou hast the best that heaven itself could give thee, rest. Rest from all bitter thoughts and things. How many a poor one's blessings went with thee beneath the low green tent whose curtain never outward swings. As one who held herself a part of all she saw, and let her heart against the household bosom lean, upon the motley braided mat our youngest and our dearest sat, lifting her large, sweet, asking eyes, now bathed in the unfading green and holy peace, of paradise. Oh, looking from some heavenly hill, or from the shade of saintly palms, or silver reach of river calms, do those large eyes behold me still? With me one little year ago, the chill weight of the winter snow for months upon her grave has lain, and now, when summer south winds blow, and briar and harebell bloom again, I tread the pleasant paths we trod, I see the violet-sprinkled sod, whereon she leaned, too frail and weak, the hillside flowers she loved to seek. Yet, following me, where'er I went, with dark eyes full of love's content, the birds are glad. The briar-rose fills the air with sweetness. All the hills stretched green to June's unclouded sky. But still I wait with ear and eye For something gone which should be nigh, A loss in all familiar things, And flower that blooms, and bird that sings. And yet, Dear heart, remembering thee, am I not richer than of old? Safe in thy immortality, what change can reach the wealth I hold? What change can mar the pearl and gold thy love hath left in trust with me? And while in life's late afternoon, where cool and long the shadows grow, I walk to meet the night that soon 
shall shape the shadow overflow. I cannot feel that thou art far, since near at need the angels are, and when the sunset gates unbar, shall I not see thee waiting stand, and, white against the evening star, the welcome of thy beckoning hand? Brisk wielder of the birch and wool, the master of the local school held at the fire his favored place. Its warm glow lit a laughing face, fresh-hued and fair, where scarce appeared the uncertain prophecy of beard. He teased the mitten-blinded cat, played crosspins on my uncle's hat, sang songs, and told us what befalls in classic Dartmouth's college halls. Born the wild northern hills among, from whence his yeoman, father wrung, by patient toil, subsistence scant, not competence, and yet not want, he early gained the power to pay his cheerful, self-reliant way, could doff at ease his scholar's gown to peddle wares, from town to town, or through the long vacation's reach and lonely lowlands districts teach, where all the droll experience found at stranger hearths and boarding round, the moonlit skater's keen delight, the sleigh drive through the frosty night, the rustic party with its rough accompaniment of blind man's bluff, and whirling plate, and forfeits paid, his winter task a pastime made. Happy the snow-locked homes wherein he tuned his merry violin, or played the athlete in the barn, or held the good dame's winding yarn, or mirth-provoking versions told of classic legends rare and old, wherein the scenes of Greece and Rome held all the commonplace of home, and little seemed at best the odds twixt Yankee peddlers and old gods, where Pindus born Arachtus took the guise of any grist-mill brook, and dread Olympus at his will became a huckleberry hill. A careless boy that night he seemed, but at his desk he had the look and air of one who wisely schemed, and hostage from the future took, in trained thought and lore of book. Large-brained, clear-eyed, of such as he shall freedom's young apostles be, who, following in war's bloody trail, shall every lingering wrong assail, all chains from limb and spirit strike, uplift the black and white alike. Scatter before their swift advance the darkness and the ignorance, the pride, the lust, the squalid sloth, which nurtured treason's monstrous growth made murder pastime and the hell of prison torture possible. The cruel lie of caste refute Old forms remold, and substitute for slavery's lash, 
the freeman's will, for blind routine, wise-handed skill, a schoolhouse plant on every hill, stretching in radiant nerve lines thence, the quick wires of intelligence, till north and south, together brought, shall own the same electric thought, in peace a common flag salute, and, side by side in labors free, and unresentful rivalry, harvest the fields wherein they fought. Another guest that winter night flashed back from lustrous eyes the light, unmarked by time, and yet not young, the honeyed music of her tongue and words of meekness scarcely told a nature passionate and bold, strong, self-concentred, spurning guide, its smile of features dwarfed beside her unbent will's majestic pride. She sat among us at the best, a not unfeared, half-welcome guest, rebuking with her cultured phrase our homeliness of words and ways. A certain pard-like, treacherous grace swayed the lithe limbs and dropped the lash, lent the white teeth their dazzling flash, and under low brows, black with night, rayed out at times a dangerous light. The sharp heat-lightnings of her face presaging ill to him whom fate condemned to share her love or hate. A woman tropical, intense in thought in act, in soul and sense, she blended in a like degree the vixen and the devotee, revealing with each freak or feint the temper of Petruchio's Kate, the raptures of Siena's saint. Her tapering hand and rounded wrist had facile power to form a fist. The warm, dark languish of her eyes was never safe from wrath's surprise. Brow saintly calm and lips devout knew every change of scowl and pout, and the sweet voice had notes more high and shrill for social battle cry. Since then, what old cathedral town has missed her pilgrim staff and gown? What convent gate has held its lock against the challenge of her knock? Through Smyrna's plague-hushed thoroughfares, up sea-set Malta's rocky stair, Great olive slopes of hills that hem Thy tombs and shrines, Jerusalem, Or, startling on her desert throne, The crazy queen of Lebanon, With claims fantastic as her own, Her tireless feet have held their way, And still, unrestful, bowed, and gray, she watches under eastern skies, with hopes each day renewed and fresh, the Lord's 
quick coming in the flesh, whereof she dreams and prophecies, where'er her troubled path may be, the Lord's sweet pity with her go. The outward, wayward life we see, the hidden springs we may not know. Nor is it given us to discern what threads the fatal sisters spun, through what ancestral years has run the sorrow with the woman born, what forged her cool chain of moods, what set her feet in solitudes, and held the love within her mute, what mingled madness in the blood, a lifelong discord and annoy, water of tears with oil of joy, and hid within the folded bud perversities of flower and fruit. It is not ours to separate the tangled skein of will and fate, to show what meets and bounds should stand upon the soul's debatable land, and between choice and providence divide the circle of events. But he who knows our frame is just, merciful and compassionate, and full of sweet assurances, and hope for all the language is, that he remembereth we are dust. At last, the great logs crumbling low sent out a dull and duller glow. The bull's eye watch that hung in view, ticking its weary circuit through, pointed with mutely warning sign its black hand to the hour of nine. That sign the pleasant circle broke. My uncle ceased his pipe to smoke, knocked from its bowl the refuse gray, and laid it tenderly away, then roused himself to safely cover the dull red brands with ashes over, and while with care our mother laid the work aside, her steps she stayed one moment, seeking to express her grateful sense of happiness for food and shelter, warmth and health, and love's contentment more than wealth, with simple wishes not the weak, vain prayers which no fulfillment seek, but such as warm the generous heart, or prompt to do with heaven its part, that none might lack that bitter night for bread and clothing, warmth and light. Within our beds a while we heard the wind that round the gables roared, with now and then a rudder shock, which made our very bedsteads rock. We heard the loosened clapboards tossed, 
the board nails snapping in the frost, and on us, through the unplastered wall, felt the light-sifted snowflakes fall. But sleep stole on, as sleep will do, when hearts are light and life is new. Faint and more faint the murmurs grew, till in the summer land of dreams they softened to the sound of streams. Low stir of leaves and dip of oars and lapsing waves on quiet shores. Next morn we wakened with the shout of merry voices high and clear and saw the teamsters drawing near to break the drifted highways out. Down the long hillside treading slow we saw the half-buried oxen go, shaking the snow from heads up-tossed, their straining nostrils white with frost. Before our door the straggling train drew up, and added team to gain. The elders threshed their hands a-cold, passed with the cider mug their jokes from lip to lip, the younger folks down the loose snowbanks wrestling rolled, then toiled again the cavalcade over windy hill, through clogged ravine and woodland paths that wound between low drooping pine boughs winter weighed. From every barn a team afoot, at every house a new recruit, where, drawn by nature's subtlest law, haply the watchful young men saw sweet doorway pictures of the curls and curious eyes of merry girls, lifting their hands in mock defense against the snowball's compliments, and, reading in each missive tossed, the charm with Eden never lost. We heard once more the sleigh-bell sound, and, following where the teamsters led, the wise old doctor went his round, just pausing at our door to say, in the brief autocratic way of one who, prompt at duty's call, was free to urge her claim on all, that some poor neighbor, sick abed, at night our mother's aid would need. For, one in generous thought indeed, what mattered in the sufferer's sight, the Quaker matron's inward light, the doctor's meal of Calvin's creed. All hearts confess the saints elect, who, twain in faith and love agree, and melt not in an acid sect, the Christian pearl of charity. So days went on. A week had passed since the great world was heard from last. The almanac we studied o'er, read and re-read our little store 
of books and pamphlets, scarce a score. One harmless novel, mostly hid from younger eyes, a book forbid, and poetry, or good or bad, a single book was all we had, where Elwood's meek drab-skirted muse, a stranger to the heathen nine, sang, with a somewhat nasal whine, the wars of David and the Jews. At last the floundering carrier bore the village paper to our door. Lo, broadening outward as we read, to warmer zones the horizon spread. In panoramic length unrolled, we saw the marvels that it told. Before us passed the painted creeks, and Daff McGregor on his raids, in Costa Rica's Everglades. And up Tegotus winding slow, rode Ypsilanti's mayonnaid Greeks, a Turk's head on each saddle-bow. Welcome to us its weak old news, its corner for the rustic muse, its monthly gauge of snow and rain, its record mingling in a breath, the wedding bell and dirge of death. Just anecdote and love-lorn tale, the latest culprit sent to jail, its hue and cry of stolen and lost, its venue sales in goods at cost, and traffic calling loud for gain. We felt the stir of hall and street, the pulse of life that round us beat. The chill embargo of the snow was melted in the genial glow. Wide swung again our ice-locked door, and all the world was ours once more. Clasp, angel of the backward look, and folded wings of ashen gray, and voice of echoes far away, the brazen covers of thy book. The weird palm sets, old and vast, wherein thou hidst the spectral past, where, closely mingling, pale and glow the characters of joy and woe. The monographs of outlived years, or smile illumed, or dim with tears. Green hills of life that slope to death, and haunts of home, whose vistaed trees shade off to mournful cypresses with the white emeralds underneath. Even while I look, I can but heed the restless sand's incessant fall, importunate hours that hours succeed, each clamorous with its own sharp need, in duty keeping pace with all. Shut down and clasp with heavy lids, I hear again the voice that bids the dreamer leave his dream midway, for larger hopes and graver fears. Life greatens in these later years, the century's aloe flowers today. Yet, haply, in some lull of life, 
some truce of God which breaks its strife. The worldling's eyes shall gather dew, dreaming in throngful city ways of winter joys his boyhood knew. And, dear and early friends, the few who yet remain, shall pause to view these Flemish pictures of old days. Sit with me by the homestead hearth, and stretch the hands of memory forth to warm them in the wood fire's blaze. And thanks untraced to lips unknown shall greet me like the odors blown from unseen meadows newly mown, or lilies floating in some pond, wood-fringed, the wayside gaze beyond. The traveler owns the grateful sense of sweetness near, he knows not whence, and, pausing takes with forehead bare the benediction of the air. End of Part 2 Snowbound, A Winter Idol Recording by Paul Tremblay, Louisville, Kentucky End of Snowbound, A Winter Idol by John Greenleaf Whittier